May all grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson from Amos chapter 6 serves as the basis for the sermon today. I don't know how many of you know the name Max Licato. You've probably heard him in Christian circles and whatnot, but I was reading one of his books, and it was, uh, it was called In the Eye of the Storm, where he tells this tale of about a minister back in the 1800s who relates a story that he liked to tell quite often about two paddle boats that would pretty often leave Memphis and head down the Mississippi River going to New Orleans. And one day these two paddle boats left the port at the same time and they were side by side when one of the paddle boat crew looked over at the other paddle boat and was noticing at the snail's pace it was going at. The next thing you know, they're shouting things over to the other boat about how slow they are. I guess it's like the 19th century equivalent of trash talking. Challenges were made, uh, and before you know it, um, a race began. And off they took going down the Mississippi River, and they were shoveling all the coal they had on the ship as fast and furious right into the boilers trying to get down the river. Eventually, one of the boats began to lag further behind. The other boat pulled ahead, and the other one was behind, and they were still laughing at them and whatnot when one young entrepreneuring young man went and started getting some cargo out of the cargo hold and started throwing it into the, into the boilers and burning it. Found out that this was a great idea because the boat started gaining a lot of steam and catching up with the other boat. And so when they figured out that the cargo burned just as, as well as the coal, they went and got all the cargo out of their holds and shoved it in there into the boilers. And before you know it, the, the paddle boat took off like a dart and ended up winning the race. But when they got there, they had burned all the cargo that they were supposed to deliver to New Orleans in the process. You know, Max Licata writes that, that God has entrusted us with cargo too. He's entrusted us with family, with friends, with children, possessions, money, all kinds of things. Um, and our job is, uh, our part is to see that the cargo reaches its destination. Our fellow human beings. We're supposed to bring them to the destination of him, of his family at the end. But yet, as Max Licato points out, when the program takes priority over people, then people often suffer. He asks these questions. How much cargo do we sacrifice to reach the number one slot? How many people never reach their destination because of the aggressiveness of a captain? As God's people, as God's family, God expects us to care for one another to utilize the things that he's entrusted us with to benefit others. He expects us to help people reach the ultimate destination, salvation. We're not just to, uh, to sacrifice the cargo he's entrusted us with for personal gain. And you know what? This isn't not just a problem today in our world. This is a problem that's been ongoing in God's family for, for thousands of years, for centuries. You see, Israel's a family that God brought up out of Egypt. If you go back to Amos chapter 3, uh, it's a family that God says, Only I have known of all the families of the earth. You are the family I brought up out of Egypt. But unlike what God intends for Israel to be, we find out that Israel is a very dysfunctional family. And the prophet Amos has a dubious task of proclaiming God's judgment against them. Amos, a shepherd whose name means burden is sent by God with the burden of proclaiming an ominous message to both Judah and to Israel, a family that's divided. And the Lord desires, even insists, that His people treat one another with respect, 
that they care for one another, not leaving anybody behind, but showing mercy towards each other. And that's far from the case because inequality persists. And that's, what's that old saying? The, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's not a saying that was invented today. That was a saying that goes all the way back to the days of Amos as well. Great inequalities. And this is what's happening to Israel during the time of Amos. When Amos delivers God's message, both kingdoms, Israel and Judah, are prosperous. But at what cost does their prosperity come? The rich are laying in beds of ivory, lounging on couches, eating the choices of lambs and the fattest of the livestock out of the stalls. They're drinking wine out of bowls. Bowls. Not cups, but bowls. Indulgence. They're having a merry old time. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And all the while, as Amos points out, they're not even grieved over the ruin of Joseph. The ruin of Joseph. Now, just to find, you know, let you in on this, I just found this out the other day. The northern kingdom of Israel is known as the house of Joseph. This is where all this has taken place. There are people that are suffering up there. As the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, the rich aren't even doing anything about the poor. In fact, most of the rich in that time had gotten rich on the backs of the poor. They oppressed them. The economic system in Israel was not exactly what biblical law had intended. And look what Amos uh, charges the rich elite with. He says, O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seed of violence... In other words, these rich people thought that everything they were being charged with would never happen, that nothing would ever befall them, or nothing would ever tear apart their kingdom. So I want you to look at something, this economic system in Israel. Look at what biblical law had intended, right? Take the Jubilee legislation from Leviticus 25, which ordered that no one should or, or could amass too much wealth, and every family had land to support themselves. So even if a family had to sell off land to support themselves because of, of illness or they just couldn't take care of it anymore, during the year of Jubilee, they'd get it all back. This is what God intended, right? This is how God intended for his people to take, uh, take care of one another, and yet Israel wasn't paying any attention to this, doing just the opposite. It's like the rulers were burning their cargo to be in first place putting programs ahead of what they were supposed to be doing. And their complacency, oh my gosh, that's just downright intolerable. It's like their attitudes towards the economic inequality of the, those who were suffering were like, well, you know what, that's just the way it is. Deal with it. Sorry about your lot in life. What an attitude to have that. Consider this, that Israel is God's chosen people. And guess what? With that status comes Unique responsibilities, special responsibilities. And these are ones that Israel throws off to the side. And it would be 40 years after Amos delivered that message in Amos 6 that Israel would fall, sacked by the Assyrians, and all the people would be taken into captivity. And guess who were the first ones to go? Those noble rich. There was a great Italian judge back in the 1900s, he's an author and a playwright. His name was Ugo Betty. And he said, I think the family is a place where the most ridiculous and least respectable things in the world go on. Families are where, you know, where they're, they're being torn about inside that nobody else knows what's happening. And each family has that problem at some point in time. 
right? We all have our black sheep. Sometimes we're the black sheep of the family. Sometimes we're the ones who are being oppressed, and sometimes we're the ones doing the oppressed within our families, stepping down on others, not helping or lending a helping hand towards things. And many of the things that Israel faced and were doing are very, uh, well, they're, they're similar to what people in society face today and what people in society are actually doing. Our economic system, especially our global economic system, bears a lot of resemblance to that of the economic system of Amos' day. And there's people who are struggling to make ends meet. There are people who get rich on the backs of the less fortunate. The rich get richer and the poor get poor. There are people who turn a blind eye to those who are in need. And this is not what God wants. This is not what God intends for His people. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. Right? Or having positions of power. What's wrong is when we take them and hoard them for ourselves and it prevents us, distracts us from doing what we're supposed to be doing in our Christian lives, of caring for others. That's what's wrong with it. And as God's people, we, like the Israelites, are held to a higher standard. where We belong to a God of justice. A God who is concerned for the poor and the needy and the oppressed. The sick, the lame, and the downtrodden in life. Part of our fabric, of our Christian calling, my friends, is to live out our daily lives in the character of God, the God that we follow. I want you to note the basis for God's judgment here on Israel. God's judgment that Amos pronounces is not only for the sake of the brothers and sisters of Israel who are in need, but it's also for the sake of those who were corrupt in Israel. Right? That they would learn to see clearly and discern rightly in their positions and what they're supposed to be doing amidst all the distractions that would keep them from following God. And that's, this judgment speaks to us today for our sake, that we would care for our fellow brothers and sisters in this world that are in need, our fellow human beings, discerning correctly and seeing clearly amongst those distractions that would seek to prevent us from keeping from following Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks in the first letter to Timothy to the rich in the present age, charging them not to be haughty or nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but directly on God. He says, they are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. Sometimes we have that, that un, unclear mindset of what the true life is, right? You get wrapped up in the wealth of this world and you think things are great because you got that promotion at work. You got that excess money in the bank, right? You got that brand new car. Things are looking good. And all of a sudden we're distracted from what we should be doing with what we've been entrusted with. Been distracted from what we actually uh, our mindset is that we amassed all these things and we forget that God entrusted us with them. We're just managers. Where do you see yourself today? Where do we see ourselves as a congregation? Maybe you were well off. Maybe you're the one, though, that's struggling. Maybe you're feeling downtrodden. Maybe you know somebody who's poor and oppressed. You know what, though? Wherever you stand, you do not stand alone. You're part of a family. This family that we call 
Ascension Lutheran Church. We're part of a bigger family. We're part of God's family, made so in our baptisms. Today, we celebrate God in our rally day. We, with our theme this year of we are family. And yes, we are family. I look out in this congregation, and I see a family full of different gifts. I see a family that cares for one another, that worships together, that does service together. But I see a family too that has its issues, as all families do. But we get those through those issues together. Right now, we're a family who may be struggling a little bit, a family who just underwent a major change, a family that's in transition. And how do we get through that transition? We get through it by worshiping as a family, by studying as a family. We get through it by letting our Father lead us in entrusting or trusting in Him and what He calls us to do. Together, as one. He will lead us. He always provides for us. But we're in it together. Remember, God's concerned about our neighbor. God's concerned for us at the same time. And the way that we get through these times together as a family is to use what God has blessed us with to bless others as well. And to not get complacent in the ministry. Not sit idle. Not sit back and, and worry about things, but to go about being an active part of this kingdom. Caring for one another. I pray, my friends, that we do not burn the cargo that's been entrusted with us, to us, for the sake of being number one, but that we bless others with what we have been blessed with. Taking hold of that which is truly life. A life where we share equally in God's family. A life for ourselves and our brothers and sisters in need. A life that God wants and gives to us freely. And to God be all the glory. Amen.